You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick, which seems to be the norm nowadays, but he is still alive and recovering from some sort of con crud at San Diego Comic-Con. On this podcast, we really wanted to talk about the so the post release strategy for a board game because so many of you that listen to this have a game that you're working on or have gone to Kickstarter and successfully funded and you're you may be like me with uh deliverance where I'm actually delivering it right now and I'm thinking how am I going to support this product post delivery and how am i going you know i have another 1100 units or so of deliverance available to sell how am i going to sell that uh what will i do afterward and i think i've really come full circle on what my plans are and i've firmed them up and i thought it might be a really fun discussion to have uh also maybe super helpful for somebody that is in the same situation or has a situation like this looming where you've got a product that you funded on kickstarter how will you support that thing post-release how will you make money with that thing post-release so that's what the discussion is going to be about today and what do you think sean well you've been doing a lot of research into influencers haven't you i know that you sent a very interesting podcast which i may as well mention here early you might want to pause this and go check out that podcast and come back but it was episode 389 by the one-stop co-op shop where several publishers were discussing essentially board game influencer marketing and the ins and outs of that from the perspectives of sort of larger publishers. I know Jamie Stegmaier was hosted there. The marketing director of uh, Chip Theory Games. And I know that um, you had, uh, it was actually a two-part podcast uh, where they had additional um, influencers from other companies as well. Um, I want to say- And Keymaster Games. Yeah, Jennifer from Key Master Game. So, yeah, there's a couple of people that have some very interesting insights in in terms of their different strategies of, I suppose, Kickstarter marketing in general, but really how to leverage influencers. So, I know Andrew, what has been your sort of thought process in terms of leveraging influencer marketing post campaign? Now, kind of going into your e-commerce stage of board game sales. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'll say that I've had this. I've thought about it a lot and initially I think everybody is kind of the same when they're, when they're newer into this industry, you naturally think, okay, I'm going to make enough stock so that I have some left over after we fulfill all of our Kickstarter orders. That is going to be what I will then sell post release. I'll have a company that is selling product and whatnot. So the natural first question is how shall I sell this product? And the uh you know one of the first answers is i'm going to get it all over youtube i'm going to put it on i'm going to talk on podcasts i'm going to get you know influencers to um to 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 talk about it to their communities and that's how we're going to sell um that's one angle then another that i think would be common to most people would be you know hopefully when others you know this is me surmising in my own head um, hopefully others that get the game around the table play with friends, the friends like it, 
the buzz kind of grows around the table and other sales happen organically because people are playing the game with other people. Those other people might want to buy the game or talk about it with somebody and, and then they'll buy the game. Maybe social media buzz will happen organically because we're, um, you know, people love it and then that will cause others to want to buy the game. So that's a that's another line of reasoning that I think is common to most people. Um, also is built on hope, not necessarily evidence. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, I wonder, I mean, we, we sent out 3,900 games and I wonder, I don't actually know how many people are going to buy just based off of organic marketing alone. And I am just simply hoping that influencers will find the game, love it, talk to their audiences, and that hundreds of people will come to my website in droves and buy. And it just seemed a little bit unrealistic to me, but also, you know, it's not, it's not impossible. I mean, I, I know people that have sold out of their stock just simply from um, uh, word, of mouth. word of mouth. Yeah. And so, you know, but how, what can I, we're not about hope and prayer. I mean, I'm all about prayer, hope and prayer, but not when it comes to planning, I want to plan on what I can control, you know, and let God take the rest that I can't control. And so how about, you know, what, how should I, I kind of applied my, my thinking as a marketer and how would I counsel a client uh, here? And I really critically thought about all of these things and I kind of came up with a, with a strategy and it, it always starts with a purpose. Like what is the rationale? Why am I doing the actions that I'm doing? What greater purpose does it serve? And I think that's the first thing that I didn't actually have a connection. Rather, I, I didn't, it's more than common sense. It's not initially what you would use, what you would connect, how you would connect the dots. You just, you know, you have extra stock, you know, that stock needs to sell. And so there are various strategies that you would employ to try to sell it. But then when it actually comes to selling, you know, and, and seeing your stock move, it's not quite so simple sometimes. I mean, sometimes stock actually sits and doesn't move at all. Some, you know, and, and sometimes you find yourself in a position which we've gone over in the past of deep discounters, put your product up on Amazon and sell it for lower than you're selling it. And you're making, you know, your marketing dollars and making sales for them, which has been a number of, uh, a number of people post-release that I, that I know have experienced that problem. So I guess like the first and probably the most important to a very curious human that wants to control everything like me is the why. Why? Like, what is the purpose of, of sending copies to influencers? What is What will I achieve by doing that? And it has to be more than just, I'm going to sell stuff because that that's a very... I guess it's a very noob approach to to running a company. So it really begins in the manufacturing quantity. One interesting thing about this one-stop co-op shop episode is that Jamie Stamar says that he has a list of influencers that he sends out review copies to. Mm -hmm. And the only criteria to receive that review copy is that they actually reviewed the game. So with that in mind, do you have a certain number of copies of games that you're just you're planning to send X amount out to, to reviewers to sort of get this explosion of kind of hype around the game that's now available and ride the wave of your own audience playing the game, sharing on socials as well. Yes, definitely. And um, Jamie actually expanded further on the way that he, he 
sends out like a hundred review copies a month, but he has many games. So, you know, he's sending out 20 of wingspan and 10 of tapestry and, you know, 10 of scythe and viticulture and all of the various games that he supports, which I think that actually by itself is very telling because he supports his games that he's produced in the past with uh, by sending review copies out today. And actually, uh, Viticulture, one of the things I know right now is that one of the highest selling or the highest grossing and greatest selling uh, games in retail stores, according to Bridge Distribution right now, is uh, Viticulture. It's in it's in the top 10. That game was released like ages ago. I do know one of their strategies is that when someone is, does like a YouTube search for your game, that there's like four or five review videos of it. So it's 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 just about the quantity. Even if it's negative, people just want to kind of maximize the exposure in the search terms mm-hmm. of your game. So I know that's part of the strategy of getting yep. the games to as many people as possible. Something to th- keep in mind as well when yep. you're sending out review copies. It might not necessarily be just because you want positive reviews. Some people might have a negative review, but if they do a review, it's it's still kind of popping up in people's the mm-hmm. the search terms, which kind of in people's minds, like oh, this is popular. People are actually engaging with this, so therefore there must be something to it. I'm going to investigate further. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the context of that that whole podcast episode was really about um, influencer incentives. So they want to review; they're incentivized to kind of review games positively because they want to do a good job for the people that are sending them games, but they also are probably not going to be taking games that they don't like. You know, if, if like, for example, the one-stop co-op shop, the types of games that they love are in the name. If it's co-op, then send it over. And if it's not, then it might not be down their alley, right? And so I, as a publisher, will self-select and say, oh yeah, I have a great co-op game and make sure to send it to them. They're much more likely to enjoy it. But, you know, if I send an email out to them and say, oh, you know, we're just a little bit too busy right now, or this doesn't sound like a game that we would like, they self-select. It never gets on the channel because we've had the conversation and the, um, you know, deliverance actually is on the One Stop Co-op Shop channel. Colin Dagnan did a fantastic video of that, but it, it just was right down their alley, right? And so I think that, um, you know, it's really about, trying to make a fit between the publisher and the influencer. But then on the publisher's side, and this is where the conversation in that podcast was quite interesting, the publisher's uh, incentive is to control the narrative. You want positive content. You want everybody raving about how great the game is and, and that sort of thing. And that's the natural incentive. I think that it's not possible to completely control the narrative. Unless you're Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to get people that just don't like it. And you need to be able to, those people need the freedom to be able to state their opinion if it's a review. So if it's um, a paid preview and all of that, it's just, it's kind of different. But so it was, it was an interesting conversation and it really definitely made me critically think about how will I send copies? Am I, how will I, kind of work to control the narrative with influencers in a manner that is appropriate for a publisher? And where will I try not to exert influence and control over those people? And so I, I definitely have a strategy there. Um, and I, I think what's important to keep in mind is that it's kind of like post-campaign influencer strategy is sort of going to ride the wave of the reinvigorated enthusiasm within your own community. One thing I've noticed with the deliverance community is that there's just been like this revival of interest because like the games are now coming. Some people in Australia, I believe, have received their games 
so they're now showing pictures of them opening their their games up and i think it's kind of like people have woken back up and there's a lot more engagement a lot of people are sharing memes and like waiting for the game and then people are starting to share so there's almost like this community enjoyment and i think you can sort of as a publisher you can sort of ride that with you sort of using influencers to accompany that because all these people are going to be playing the game sharing it with their friends sharing it on socials and then there's going to be a lot more people searching for this. So if there's new content, that new, new influencers kind of creating content around the game, it's just going to enhance uh, the kind of hype that's around the, the game at the moment. Absolutely. And uh, also another thing that's really helpful is, you know, YouTube videos are very popular for, you know, influencers. Of course, you'll have people on all sorts of different social channels, but um, in YouTube, what I specifically, what I really want is I want my fans that are already a part of these other influencer communities to tell everybody how much they love the game, right? And so it it's uh, it's really nice when you're sending out review copies and your fans are receiving the game. If you send out review copies before your fans receive the game, it's specifically to build hype for a a bunch of sales, like a groundswell of sales, you know, when your product releases. But for me. I thought it would be better if my fans had some experience, the majority, you know, had some experience with the gameplay and could speak to, you know, with a firsthand account on those various influencer channels. I think that's a very under, underutilized resource, just you're using your audience to market for you because they love it. Now, one of the conversations we were, we were talking about before we, we jumped on the podcast was this idea of creating demand. So I know you want to jump in and talk a little bit about uh, manufacturing and how many spare copies of Sense you have. But you, 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 as far as I, my understanding goes, you're sort of intentionally allowing the well to go dry so that people thirst yeah. <laughs> for a reprint. Uh, maybe do you want to dive into the thought process behind that and why you're doing that. I think it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. So there, there are a number of strategies that, that publishers will employ. If you have an evergreen title, it, it naturally makes sense that you would always want to have that product in stock. So the traditional mindset is to print enough copies that you can have them on hand and that when you sell out of all those copies, you will have generated enough revenue to uh, reprint that product and continue serving you know, fulfilling demand. Now, I think that that does work with a lot of games, but especially for new publishers, I see another strategy as very, very viable. So this is part, you know, what I kind of alluded to earlier is that that more than common sense thought process. We, and, and also, as I said earlier, you know, we have some companies that we've worked with in the past that have overproduced and have a lot of units of a very popular game, or rather maybe it was very uh, in, high, in high demand on Kickstarter or GameFound. And then they, they produced a bunch of units that are now sitting in a warehouse. You know, maybe they produced 10,000 units of a product and they sold through 8,000 of them. But now they have 2,000 just sitting in a warehouse and they're struggling to move those 2,000. I feel like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to arrive at a place like that, if you can avoid it, you definitely want to try to sell through all of your stock, you know, and, and not overproduce. So the, the concept really is, I guess it's an economic concept that I learned by trading items on Diablo two, 
Um, you know, you, you have uh, certain items worth one SOJ, one Stone of Jordan ring. And then next week, they're worth two. And so you buy low and sell high. And that's like, that's how I, when I was 10 years old, I got my lesson in economics and ended up getting an A plus in college without having to study because of my Diablo two economics degree. Um, so yeah, hope, I hope that makes the podcast. I I'm very yeah. proud of that. Well, I used to be a herbalist in World of Warcraft. So I, I would play the auction house. Yeah. I got pretty savvy of knowing how, what certain herbs cost. So when I saw noobs list them for like really bad prices, I just instantly buy them out. And then I, I would have a monopoly on certain herbs. You can't play the system. Yep. So, so it's really all about the law of supply and demand. So consider it's, it's like a, there's the X axis of a chart is supply. And then the Y axis is demand. The higher demand goes, uh, the, you know, the more supply you can sell. Right. And so the concept is that at a certain point, if supply exceeds demand, then either the product is going to be sold like liquidated and sold for cheaper. Maybe you'll give discounts and, and things like that. But there, there are these problems that, uh, that will arise. So a lot of the time a publisher is thinking conceptually about how do I increase demand? Because you've already, you've got it, you've got the supply. Now you need to create demand for it. Right. And so that's, uh, what, that's why Kickstarter is so nice. Kickstarter game found so wonderful because you're not having to, uh, guess at how many people want to buy stuff. You're able to actually, in essence, take a pre-order and say, how many people want this? They actually pay for it. And you know roughly how many to make. So with Deliverance, I thought about, uh, so we, we sold roughly uh, like at the time about 3,500 units. So I felt, you know, you get price breaks at every, roughly every thousand units uh, from a manufacturer. So I knew I had to make 4,000 um, if at like bare minimum to serve the existing customers. And then I wouldn't really have any to sell after that. But then uh, I decided to make more, which I think is really smart. You want to have some extra stock left over so that you can actually be a company, sell stuff and, and whatnot. So 5,000, we had a great price break. Now, the question for me at the time was, do I make 5,000 or do I make 6,000? I'm going to have roughly 1,000 or 2,000 units left over, depending on what number I choose. And you know, if I decided later to make a print run of 1,000, it's going to cost way more than if I were to just simply print, you know, 6,000 units up, up from 5,000. The economies of scale are just so much better when you're doing it that way. So the challenge kind of was how many do I make? And I elected to err on the side of caution rather than err on the side of potentially creating too much supply. And uh, the reason I did that was because I would rather be in a place where I've sold out and people want the game and are clamoring to still get the game, but it's sold out everywhere than in the position of nobody wanting the game and having a thousand units sitting in a warehouse, charging me fees and for, you know, me trying to find ways to liquidate. I personally feel like I could sell an extra thousand units if I had to, but I don't think that that's a smart place to, to find yourself. It's also very uh, hubristic of me to think that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a great marketer. I'll just sell that thousand units, but will you, you know, it's like, what can I control? So I, I've elected to only print 5,000. Uh, well, this is a very similar strategy to Adam Apple games with, with Supermoon, right? There was a plan unknown and it 
kind of went out of stock. No one could find it. And there's a huge demand. People wanted to get this game. So when Adam did launch Supermoon on GameFound, he said, well, we're going to do a reprint. And he got a lot of people jumping in who were, you know, hungry <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to get the game, get the deluxe game. So I think there's the strategy certainly helps you with an expansion and relaunch, which I know you have in the plans as well. Mm-hmm. So it sort of supplements that strategy moving forward, coming back to Kickstarter or GameFound. Right. I think it's the perfect time to circle back to the concept of why and the strategic the strategic question and strategic marketing planning and whatnot that I had alluded to earlier. So we talked about supply and demand. So I want to create demand. If you create demand, then you will have the opportunity to satisfy it with supply, even if the supply is not crafted yet. But what you don't want is you don't want to have supply far outclassed demand. So what I elected to do with my 5,000 units, I felt like we're going to have buzz after our Kickstarter. I want stock because I know product will sell because the game is good, because people are, uh, like it and, and whatnot. So I know I need to have stock to sell. I am going to use that revenue. So right now we have, uh, as I said before, 1,100 units of the game left, representing about $110,000 worth of revenue if we sold at MSRP. Um, I've already paid for it. So the cost of manufacturing it is sunk. I will generate $99 for every game that I sell, you know, minus fees and whatnot. If I sell on Amazon, they're going to take 25% of that. If I have to pay, you know, 20 bucks on Facebook ads to sell something, then that comes out as well. But that's the, the, the amount of revenue that's just sitting there. I've elected to use that to further our effort in um, uh, t- toward the expansion. So we're paying for our artists, we're paying a part-time game developer to help me with content and we're just, we're working like crazy on the expansion. And so there's not going to be enough money for a big reprint. So the, uh, you know, $110,000 in revenue is not enough to make and ship over 5,000 units of deliverance. It's just, uh, you know, with all of the add-ons and, and that kind of thing, we could probably get a decent print run of the game, but instead of doing it that way, what I what I intend to use that hundred thousand hundred ten thousand dollars in revenue for that I believe we can sell because of the organic, uh, you know, of, we, of all the factors we talked about. We're gonna pay for the the game. I'm not gonna be in. I mean, when I went to Kickstarter the first time, I was in sixty thousand dollars of debt, and it needed to pay or it needed them to work right. We raised over three hundred k, which was awesome, and then another one hundred ninety k afterward, and um. You know, and and so that was that was definitely a win. But the next Kickstarter that we run, I don't want to be in sixty k of debt, right? I I would like to use that hundred ten thousand dollars to finish the marketing, or I'm sorry, to finish the art, and then have a very large budget for marketing purposes. I'd like to make a really great video that that uh, everybody will will love. I'd like to have much more to invest into Facebook ads. I'd like to have more to invest into other third-party sites and things like that. So, and also, you know, to prepay for things like the uh, the miniature sculpts and the, you know, as I mentioned, the art and all of all of that. If we can get all of that that process started earlier, we're going to save months of time later. And as I already mentioned, I have a game designer helping me, a game developer, you know, working on deliverance content that that's able to work 
you know, just provide more hours on, uh, on the product in addition to me. So we're going to be able to turn it around faster. So that's what I'm going to use that money for. And that means that eventually the stock of deliverance that I have access to will go to zero. We're not going to have any more metal coins. We're not going to have any more, you know, acrylic standees, neoprene mats, deliverance board games. And there are going to be people that still want it. You know, the, the sending review copies out causes people to, you know, see that your thing exists. It creates demand in the right audience. People organically playing the game. I expect them to, to play this game for months. You know, uh, people will have it on their shelf. They'll take it off and, and, and whatnot. And so that's, uh, that's another thing that I expect. So there's going to be more demand than there is supply. And that's just the way that the, uh, the way that I plan to, to make this thing. Now, the, the why is I want to create more demand and then satisfy that demand with a Kickstarter relaunch. I think that this is one of the, so every once in a while you see a game will launch an expansion. You already mentioned Planet Unknown Supermoon. You know, the, if you make a game that gets a certain number of backers, Deliverance had 2,700 backers, right? You would naturally expect that the relaunch of that should be higher. A lot of those people will get the expansion and the new people will find the game and that sort of thing. But, you know, as we discussed with Marco, for example, of, uh, you know, he released a standalone game in uh, a second standalone game in in his line uh, of escape, the escape series, right? From uh, Raybox Games. Uh, we did this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll, we'll include it in the show notes. It doesn't always pencil out that way. And I would hesitate to say that I know every single reason why that is. We kind of worked on it together, you know, and... and and brainstormed together as a team as to why that was on, on that podcast with Marco. But um, I think that the supply, just if people are, if the demand is not there and the rationale for buying this versus waiting until retail, if that is not compelling enough, then that's where you get projects that are, that, that, the expansion does not exceed the base game purchase. One of the best examples, I think, that just you can, you know, uh, people can look at for game a game that did really, really well with expansions and, you know, on their crowdfunding campaign is um, Everdell by Starling Games. One of my favorite personal worker placement games has this big tree in the center of the play area and it's a really nice looking game. They did, I want to say, 300,000 with their first Kickstarter campaign. Their first expansion was Pearlbrook. It raised 600,000. Then they had Spirecrest and Belfair, I think, or I think that's what it was. That was 1.2 million. So they doubled the results of each of their Kickstarter campaigns. And then they did this huge epic, you know, buy everything from us direct and save money on the collector's edition and all of that, which I don't know that retailers particularly liked, but was very, very successful. And that I think did well over $2 million. They're doing a really good job satisfying demand with their crowdfunding campaigns. And I think that they're fostering a lot of demand. And then the actual supply out there, in particular for the collector's edition, is really quite lacking. And that's where that, you know, they sold out of all their product and people still wanted it. And they satisfied that demand with a crowdfunding campaign. So I think that's kind of where I intend to go. The how. Uh, how will I create demand, I think is probably the next big chunk of this podcast. 
do you have plans to sort of capitalize on your community just sort of sharing their own enthusiasm of of the game um are you going to try and incentivize people to take pictures of the game table with you know family and friends around maybe using a certain hashtag you could possibly do a giveaway so that someone could win it and give it to a friend is that something that you're thinking about yeah and the way that i look at it is i i try to put myself in the position of just being a a fellow fan with with my fans celebrating something that we all love and uh deliverance because it's so uh you know it's a very thematic and a very kind of a one of a kind experience um in 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 a lot of ways it's a thing that people can really sink their teeth into and and it's the type of project somebody can you know a lot of people can congregate around so i try to put myself into that position and um the uh one of the as a result one of the greatest bits of incentive that you can give a fan is um to like share because it's awesome and i want to see it people love just being a part of the community together it it feels good it's this concept of tribal marketing that i think is so powerful where if they feel a part of a tribe a community of like-minded individuals that can congregate around one thing and celebrate that thing then the incentive to just simply share your experience with the thing is quite uh you know quite uh, effective in marketing, in a marketing sense. So I think that that's a huge, huge piece. And so as uh, to that end, what I plan on doing, not only am I always asking, always chiming on like, hey, send me a picture. Anytime somebody's like, I got my tracking number or I'm so excited, it just came in the mail. I'm always asking, send me a picture, send me a picture. Tell me what your what your thoughts were after you actually get your first play in. And that's like a regular thing that I say all, all the time, those two things. And um, we have been receiving a lot of people just sharing and the game, has, it plays really well. It gets great reviews. Everybody that's played it so far is super duper happy with it. Um, and so that's, that's one thing, but that doesn't last forever, right? Like eventually that's going to kind of wear out. And so we have additional plans to, which I haven't, I, somebody asked me in our community. And so I kind of spilled the beans, let the cat out of the bag rather. But we plan on creating additional missions like once a quarter and just releasing them as a free PDF for our deliverance fans. So that way it kind of gives them a reason to cut, to open the box again and just play it. It's like, all right, here's a really super hard puzzle for everybody that likes to play Uriel. This is, you know, a puzzle for that angel. You're at one health and there are a bunch of bad dudes around. How do you survive for four rounds or how do you, how do you win the fight, you know, and, and, uh, given, all of these really challenging conditions, or maybe just a scenario that you can sit down and play a game night. So that's uh, one thing that we plan on doing for ongoing support. And then in addition to that, because people really love the game, and I think this is a, a more natural, kind of a common sense approach, we plan on publicizing elements of the expansion that we're working on. So we have so many art pieces that are finished. We have you know various bosses that are finished. We have angels that are finished. Uh, you know, character, playable characters. And uh, we plan on kind of slow release, uh, kind of teasing art pieces to get people excited. Because when, you know, when you, you really love a game and you play through the entire campaign and you play a bunch of skirmish games, you kind of, you get like, you're like, okay, you know, I have other games coming and I'm going to play those now, but I really love, you know, this other game, even though you haven't played it in a couple of months, maybe. Well, the expansion 
just teasing information out about the expansion, about something that you like is, uh, is really exciting. It's like, Oh, I can't wait. You know? And it's like, when the expansion hits, I can't wait to back that. So that's another strategy of ours that is like post-release with specifically with our fans to kind of activate them. Yeah. The P- the PDF idea is interesting. It's, it's very similar, almost like the video game where you have a patch, mm-hmm. you kind of patch in the game with some little extra content for, for people. Mm-hmm. And what you might even eventually be able to do, and I know that Valve has been able to do this very successfully recently with Team Fortress 2. They have a summer update, which was actually developed and created that by... That game's still around? Wow. It was, it was created and developed by the fans. There's been a huge uh, resurgence of people playing the game because there was fan-made packs and fan-made objects and maps wow. that they did as a, an official update. So it's kind of just mobilized the commu- whole entire community, got a bunch of new people in, into the game because it's sort of trending on Steam. But that might be something that you can eventually do where eventually the fans themselves would be generating their own yep. packs. They can submit them and then you can officially publish them and release them uh, for everyone else to enjoy. Absolutely. And that's actually where my mind has been with this. I'm glad you brought that up because I really want to do exactly that. And um you know, there, there are going to be a lot of people who theory craft and then come up with new bosses, come up with new characters. And um, there have already been players that have come up with characters, play testers. In fact, they came up with a cool character, gave me a really fun idea that might actually make it into a future deliverance expansion. And so to receive those ideas and not only say thank you and, and you know, just cheer, you know, give them a, a, a pat on the back, but to turn it into like an official looking PDF and send it out for everybody to enjoy and then credit that person for, you know, as a free PDF download that people can play. That's a pretty, Maybe even a new game. Yeah. You know, that's where Counter-Strike came from. It was a Half-Life, yeah. Half-Life yep. mod. Um, you know, one of the League number of one things. Yep. Yep. Dota. Dota, Dota was a Warcraft three mod and yep. League of Legends spawned out of that. Yes. Uh, the whole MOBA genre, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a huge, demand right now for a competitive version of deliverance it's like an arena version of deliverance and uh i i do definitely expect a fan-made version um there's also you know fans out there that are like i want to control the demons it's kind of like the the overlord style which is not an official uh you know part of the game but i know that players are going to come up with something and and share that and so it might be uh you know just depending on what it what comes out and you know, which, which direction we go with, with those PDFs. I mean, those missions and concepts are going to be, um, I think, pretty popular with the community. In relation to, like, ongoing, I guess, uh, the how, and in the specifically as it relates to influencers, I'm going to take a certain quantity of games per month, and my goal is to send out that many games per month to influencers, which is going to range probably between five and 20 games, maybe five and 25 a month, probably, you know, maybe in the middle there somewhere. <clears throat> I'm going to send out that many games per month to reviewers, influ- influencers of various kinds, you know, people on TikTok, people, you know, that review games or whatever. And um, they're, they're not going to be compensated financially other than a, a free copy of the game. So they will be able to share their thoughts. And so that's part of my plan is just to uh, leverage their audiences with content that, um, you know, and to support them in their pursuit of just cr- crafting content um, for their audiences. And so that's one element. And we plan on doing that 
just reserving a certain amount of, of the stock that we have for those influencers. Even if we quote unquote sell out, I'm still going to reserve some stock to send to influencers. <clears throat> and, and this is going to be like board game reviewers, but it's also going to be like model painters and maybe people who talk about Christian subjects. Uh, yeah. So I actually sent my game to a, a Catholic priest that is an exorcist, like heart, like a full on professional 20 years in the Catholic church has served as uh, an exorcist for the Catholic church. That's not a, I mean, the guy might play Wordle, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's very, actually very interested in the game. And what's hilarious is that he, is, he lives with a, another guy that is also an exorcist. So there are, you know, roommates or whatever. And so there are two Catholic priests that are exorcists. The men in black. So that, you know, talk about outside the games industry, right? But very adjacent to the subject matter because you're angels fighting demons and with the saints caught in between and all of that. Um, another influencer that we took advantage of actually before Kickstarter was, well, during our Kickstarter was the Babylon Bee podcast. They, they get like 35 or 40,000 downloads per episode and you know, spread across their various platforms and whatnot. And comment being quite uh, active in your community, kind of trolling people <laughs> as, yes, yeah, as, the, as you would expect someone from the Babylon Bee to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know many people listening to this, they have opinions about the Babylon Bee, but, um, you know, as, as a publisher, I'm going to go wherever people are going to take me. And somewhere that's 35 or 40,000 uh, uh, listeners, I'll, I'll go there. And so it just so happened that Kyle Mann, is a big board gamer and I reached out to him on Twitter and, and the rest is kind of history, but, um, it's, uh, and yeah, now he's totally trolling the, the community, which is funny for shipping notifications and stuff. But, uh, he's like, is this game a scam? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, is this ever going to deliver? It is to blame the pot. Yeah. It's yeah. funny to see. So um, um, you should, you should get him to connect you with Kevin Sorbo. If, if he has a connection there, because I, I have a feeling he might be into this because he played Hercules and like yeah. fantasy. So Dude, I'd, I'd there, love might to. Be, there might be a good overlap there. That'd be awesome. I want to play with uh, Kevin Sorbo and Lucy Lawless. I'd love to play with both of them. Kirk, Kirk uh, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just, you know, uh, Xena Warrior Princess and uh, and Hercules. I, just, oh, yeah, yeah. I used to watch that all the time. So, uh, but yeah, so we definitely want to find ways into influencer circles, but yeah, you know, so we came up with a list of other various influencers that are kind of adjacent to what it is that we do. It's so, as you mentioned earlier with Jamie Stegmaier, he has this big list of content creators that he works with. I've started to uh, put together my own spreadsheet of various content influencers and I mark if they are in the games industry or not. And, you know, I, I, you know, mark the name, of the, you know, the show, um, you know, there's like, like, for example, the, you know, the Dice Tower um, is a company that is in the board games industry. Tom Vassell is my contact. And, you know, he's definitely going to be, uh, you know, I'll be reaching out to him for a game. Alex Radcliffe of uh, Board Game Co. is excited to receive a copy. Um, I'll, I'll reach out to a bunch of games influencers. And then, uh, you know, maybe the big ones are going to get spread throughout you know, maybe like a couple of big ones a month versus um, all the big ones first and then all the little ones next. You know, I'd I do want to see shelf side play on Nightmare, the hardest yeah. difficulty. Dude, I, I just would love to be a wallflower on, you know, a fly, whatever you call it. I'd like to be fly have a wall. camera just watching. Yes, a fly on the wall, just watching 
um, them get shredded uh, <laughs> by the demons. They'll Rage. Love it. Yes. So, um, but yeah, and then there are others that are adjacent. Look, like, uh, for example, the Pints with Aquinas podcast is uh, one of the biggest Catholic podcasts in the world. It's like one of the top three. It's way bigger than something like the Babylon Bee or, or whatever, the Dice Tower, you know, and that is not necessarily something that is games industry, but there are like tons and tons of people that are interested in spiritual warfare and all of that, that, that will listen to Pints with Aquinas uh, podcast. And so I'm definitely going to be trying to get onto, onto that. You know, then you've got a bunch of people that are probably too big for me that I'm going to go for like the shut up and sit down guys, which are, you know, over 400,000 subscribers. They get a ton of views on their videos and it's, it's very, uh, you know, I mean, if I, I'd be super blessed if I could actually get their attention, you know, maybe, maybe not, but, um, you know, so I'm putting together a list and then, well, I think that the, the subject matter of deliverance, I think it, it's a two-edged sword, right? Cause it's going to, it's going to close certain opportunities where people might be uncomfortable covering a game with sort of an overt religious theme, but then it also opens up other opportunities, which other people wouldn't have access to like as you said these different podcasts and influencers which are sort of adjacent to the game because mm -hmm. of its theme so right. uh, I, I just think you kind of have to roll the punches i do think diligence is a characteristic all successful people have so there are commonalities if you look at people who thrive being intentional having a plan and then being diligent and implementing that and reiterating and readjusting and pivoting depending on how things are, are working out eventually something sticks to the wall. And so I, I do think there's an overall principle that can be applied here in terms of your post-campaign strategy. Yeah. And all of this is theoretical. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I wanted to share this because it felt like this podcast, as much as it is a, a, uh, I hope it's a benefit to everybody that is listening. I actually look forward to looking back a year down the road and saying, what did I, what was I thinking at the time and how did it actually work out? Which is something that we've done before with deliverance in particular, but you know, we always love to share those firsthand experiences. And um, you know, I, I think that it's, if I shared a year down the road, uh, what I did and how it worked or whatever, I'll miss key details. And so I, Oh, I've asked, you know, I much prefer sending, you know, sharing those details today and, um, you know, having, well, and eventually when, we, when we're speaking about that in the future, we can always link back to this episode so people can compare and contrast and probably be a helpful case study for people. They said they would do this, but this is actually what transpired and I think it will make those things a bit more palpable. Yeah. So if you have any questions or thoughts on that one, ask us in the crowdfunding nerds community, it's a Facebook community that we are they're very active in and um, let us know how, what your strategy is and how you guys plan on treating the post campaign and, and your, your supporting your game during its release and after its release. We'd love to hear from you guys on that. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.